back to the Trusted Visions Weekly Podcast. This week, we're going to wrap up the monthly series that we've been covering of past, present, and future, and what the how the industry has evolved, how it continues to evolve, and what you as a broker-dealer owner, executive, financial advisor, enterprise, or OSJ, can per- do, what you can do to protect what you've built and what you should be doing. So we're going to wrap this series up and starting with Sean, you know, kind of doing a recap. We've talked about a lot over this last month uh, <laughs> because this is a big topic that right. we could probably go months talking about on a weekly basis. But, you know, recapping, if you could recap for everybody watching, Sean, of what we've kind of discussed and how the industry has evolved, I think that would be helpful. Sure, sure. First of all, good morning, team. And um, definitely thanks to all of those who are tuning in right now um, online. But um, this month, we covered several great topics that have influenced the direction of our industry. Um, As you mentioned, we talked about where our industry was and where our industry is going, um, starting with the significant increase of consolidations through mergers and acquisitions. I think Deb alluded to earlier this month that FEMRA's latest total of broker-dealers is about 3,500, down from 4,700 just a decade ago. So you're looking at over 100 broker dealers per year um, that are no longer in business, potentially due to mergers and acquisitions. Um, This shift has definitely reshaped the landscape to a huge degree. And therefore, a form like Trusted Visions is very useful for due diligence, uh, which leads to another topic that we discussed, which is having a plan B. Uh, We looked at the importance and significance of an advisor to have a plan B. As I always mention to advisors, listen, you built the practice. Um, these are your clients. They trust you. And you shouldn't allow a broker dealer to dictate the type of service, the type of pricing, and the type of culture you receive for your clients. Um, having a plan B really puts you in the driver's seat, so to speak. And a plan B, oftentimes, throughout my 20 years, a plan B can sometimes become plan A pretty quickly. Uh, so therefore, you know, it's always a great idea to have that in your back pocket. Um, we also touched a great deal on uh, the significant regulatory policy implementations um, that have uh, you know surrounded our industry over the past several years, primarily the DOL, but also Reg BI, and it's really changed the broker dealer landscape. Um, with DOL, we saw broker dealers allocate millions of dollars just to prepare for supervisions of these policies. And uh, I expect more policies, I know we touched on that as well, um, to occur here in the future. It seems like anytime there's new administration, the financial services industry always goes (laughs) under the microscope. So I would not be surprised if something evolved from there, which leads to uh, another topic we discussed, which was simply the, you know, how the industry has evolved. And uh, efficiencies of scale is no doubt about it, have been rewarded for larger firms with greater profits. And um, that is why you see the number of mergers and acquisitions out there. Um, you know, so that has definitely trickled down to, you know, involvement in technology or the evolution of technology rather, uh, products as well as supervision. So we touched on a lot of uh, topics. Hopefully I, you know, condensed it. And, 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 and so uh, the viewers can, can know exactly what we spoke about. And if you want to take a look at some of our previous weeks, feel free to do so. But uh, great month of conversation, and I'm happy to be a part of it. 
Yeah, and thank you for that, for Sean. I mean, really the purpose of these podcasts are to bring educational and expertise to topics that many advisors, financial professionals think about, but don't know where to go. So um, great having you, great to have the team together. David, now we're going to kick it off to you. And, and when we talk about past, present, and future, where we're seeing, if I would say 2020 and now going into 2021, a lot more advisors want that financial stability, so to speak, of that large-scale broker-dealer that Sean talked about, but they don't want to get lost in the shuffle and just be a number. So we're seeing more and more having greater interest in being part of a larger OSJ, regional OSJ, or enterprise. Can you talk from your experiences as to why you think that's happening and, and the advantages to advisors? Absolutely. I think uh, as you stated and so did John, <clears throat> when we start talking about having that plan B with your current broker dealer and how important that is, it's the same thing when it comes to partnerships. When we're looking at the evolution of our business, we started, you know, when you look about the consolidation of broker dealers out there, everybody was looking for that mom and pop broker dealer, that regional broker dealer that would fit their needs and get economy of scale and had the personal experiences and everything that went along with that that really the evolution has changed to partnerships now. You know, you're not going to find those mom and pop broker dealers. Those, those are long past us at this point. So when you're looking at partnerships, you've got to consider that as what it was 10, 15 years ago. It's either looking at your overall practice and you're partnering with somebody else to bring economy of scale, everything else that goes along with it, but also partnerships with regional OSJs, OSJs, and enterprises. And when you're looking at that, you can kind of, if you're, if you're doing the right homework and doing the right due diligence, you're going to find that's kind of what you're looking for. You're looking for, you know, we've got a broker-dealer partner, we've got the technology, we've got every, all the infrastructure in place of that broker-dealer partner. Now you're trying to find that personal home, some place that's going to have, you know, really kind of the aligns with your principles, your practice, and is going to give you the, the benefits of capitalizing on your payouts and your pricing and everything that goes along with it. So now you really, you've really got to take a step back and say, when people start talking about partnerships and looking at OSJs and looking at branches and enterprises, you really need to take a step back and realize it's not what it used to be. People get a little scared about that. It's like, no, I want to be an independent financial planner. I want my own, I want my own practice. You can still have that, but have that partnership in place that's going to allow you to utilize and capitalize on that big a uh, broker-dealer partner that you may be working with in the background, but you've got that branch, you've got that OSJ, and you've got that partnership or the enterprise that's going to basically help you build your business and give you that mom and pop kind of feel or give you uh, give you the availability to be a part of something a little bit smaller so you don't feel like you're that one little fish in that big giant pond. Yeah. And where you really need the help is working with, some, with a third-party recruiter that can help you make those introductions. <laughs> It's a little bit harder to find a good quality OSJ or branch or enterprise out there if you don't really know how to search for that. It's not like looking for a broker dealer where they're out there. They're a little bit more difficult to find. And um, really kind of piggyback on that a little bit. I know um, I'll kind of push over to you, Sean. You may have a couple of follow up, especially on the enterprise side. because I know you've done a lot of work on that side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thanks, Dave. And I will preface my comment by saying all OSJs are not created equal. Um, uh, however, I spent time at a broker dealer that was very OSJ centric. 
And, and because of that experience, I, I was able to work with some, some awesome OSJs. And, and when I'm speaking with an advisor that's looking for that support who may be apprehensive about um, you know, affiliating with a larger broker dealer, I always uh, mention to the advisor, listen, this is the best of both worlds because you have the resources from that large broker dealer. You can take advantage of the technology and uh, the service and the support that the broker dealer offers. However, you have some OSJs out there, Dave, that just have this great, uh, you know, enterprise where you have that layer of service as well. So it's almost a, it serves as the best of both worlds, in my opinion, in a lot of cases. And you're right. You know, um, sometimes it's tough to find. And right. you definitely want to you know, partner with uh, you know, third party such as such as uh, Trusted Visions to just really navigate those waters. Yeah, and I think one area there is it also gives an advisor, in addition to the added layer of support, you know, the ability to take advantage of their payouts and pricing of a larger entity. Now, Sean, I know I'm going to ping this back at you for one second, just from an opinion standpoint, because I've seen it several times in my career, where what is your opinion or, or advice to advisors joining an OSJ? Because I've seen it in the past where, an advisor joins an OSJ, the OSJ isn't holding up their end of the bargain. They want to get released from that OSJ, but yet that OSJ is playing hardball with them and won't release them, which requires them to move broker dealers or stay within the OSJ. Right. What is your opinion of or advice to advisors on getting a release letter up front from an OSJ or enterprise when that advisor's looking at joining them? Well, I think that's a great idea, but taking it a step further, I believe that before an advisor partners with an OSJ, you want to make sure that relationship is there. And the way you do that is by, you know, obviously a number of conversations. If you can, a face-to-face meeting. I know we're in a, a very high tech world where OSJ may be on the other side of the country, but you definitely want to get that um, feel for the OSJ. And I do encourage any advisor to speak with existing advisors within the enterprise. Make sure you make those calls and mm-hmm. get an understanding of how this individual uh, supervises, how, how they conduct business. But I do I do agree. I, I've seen that happen a few times <clears throat> in my case, with, uh, you know, just from recruiting where an advisor joins an OSJ. It was it was all swell you know, <laughs> prior to the affiliation. And then months later is a phone call. You know, hey, Sean, you know, I'm not sure if I can work with this OSJ. Yep. Now, some broker dealers have some great policies in play where an OSJ can't hold you captive. You know, if, if it's really getting out of hand, <laughs> you can uh, leverage the broker dealer and uh, move to another OSJ, or in some cases, the broker dealer may um, allow you to report directly, you know, to the firm. But, you know, in, in some cases, broker dealers do allow the OSJ to have that much, uh, yeah, I guess, privilege, you can say, and um, so so having an agreement in place wouldn't hurt. I mean, it can help. And I think that's a great segue into and the team and I talked about this earlier this week of, you know, have we truly defined for our audience? What is a true consultation when working with firms like Trusted Visions? Um, and I think this is a great segue in that a true consultation isn't getting an advisor's name and throwing a profile to 10 different broker dealers and saying, hey, I'm going to make this introduction. And then the advisor is getting calls from 10 different corporate recruiters. 
A true consultation, and this is the approach of trusted visions, not saying, as Sean put it, not everybody is created equal in our space um, or provides the same level of service, but a consultation is really what you want it to be and what your needs are. And so I'll give you an example of that is we always start off, and I think I can speak for the entire team, we start off with that introductory call of what's causing you to even talk to us? Is it, you know, reduction in payouts, increase in cost? Is it frustrations with compliance? Is it product driven? Whatever it may be. And let us understand that because we're going to dig deeper. And some clients may think we're pushing them, but yet we really want to get to, is this just a one-time issue or is it something that's ongoing or is it something from an industry standard that you're not going to be able to do with any other broker dealer? And so, you know, we try and on that introductory call, really challenge our clients to find out what the true issue is. And then after that, then let's understand what your desired destination is in terms of, is it strictly upfront money? Is it strictly payout? Is it culture, platforms, ease of doing business? And, you know, then at least at Trusted Visions, we don't make more than two or three introductions to broker dealers at a time. Now, that's by design. That's not because we only have two or three relationships. We have you know, several broker dealer relationships, but we want to be respectful of the fact, and I think Deb mentioned this on past podcasts, is an advisor has to focus on their clients and their practice and continuing to build their practice. If we start introducing you to five or 10 different broker dealers, then your entire day is going to be filled up with technology demos, advisory demos, introductory calls with the broker dealer, calls with practice management. So we try and be methodical. And when you're doing consultations, if we have done our job, we shouldn't have to introduce you to more than two or three broker dealers based off of listening to what your needs are. In addition to that, to Sean's point, we try and you know ensure we're keeping you out of harm's way and asking those questions that a you either forget to ask or don't know to ask. So that prime example of to a broker dealer, what is your policy if I join an OSJ and it doesn't work out? Um, and making sure that we're asking those type of questions. In addition, and again, when I say this is something that is really designed for you by you. You tell us how much support you want. I mean, I know that we've went into home office visits before with advisors or, or OSJs or enterprises. We went to meet with advisors and their reps within their group. It's really up to you. It's not that we're trying to micromanage the process, but it's one where we are trying to be part of the process to make sure that we're making, helping you make the best decision possible for you. Lastly, on the true consolidation or uh, consultation is... In my opinion, if you're working with a firm or a recruiter that is strictly eight to five, and if you have a question, because it never fails, we've all seen it, um, they have a question at seven o'clock at night that you're available. And I just had a call with a client last night at 7.30 because they're really trying to push to make their transition by early May. And they were getting a little bit worried or stressed about where they were in the process. If you're working with a uh, (laughs) consultant then if they're doing their job, they are accessible and they respect the fact that you're trusting your livelihood, your clients, and your practice in our hands. So anything to add on the consultation side of it? 
team. Oh, good. Great. Great. <laughs> so, Deb, we're going to ping the hard one off to you um, because <laughs> you're, you're the most experienced on the team. Right. I'm sure after this month, a lot of advisors are saying, okay, all of that content and data is, is phenomenal, but what does it mean going into the future? And so not that we can ever predict what's going to happen, but with the consolidation that Sean talked about in the industry, where do you see the industry going, going forward? Well, to me, it gave me the easy one. And it's nice to be back with you all again. I, I missed a couple of weeks. So, um, and great job, everyone else on, on the topics that you covered um, already. I was just going to start it out by saying, where's the future? More of the same, right? I mean, you're going to continue to have regulations, which is going to um, continue to compress revenues with the firms, right? Decrease those revenues, which is going to what? Continue to have more consolidations and more acquisitions. I mean, there, there's just, there's no way around when you look at the landscape, you don't con continue to see this path, right? I mean, here we are in, okay, so going into May, um, you've had at least, I think there's been four major, um, well, some major, a little smaller broker dealer acquisitions. And there's been probably like over 30, you know, RIA um, acquisitions, right? You have, you know, the TD Schwab murder or merger. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that it's across the board, right? So when we talk about the future, it's not just about the broker dealers. It's our it's the financial service industry as a whole that is continuing to shrink everyone or consolidate, whether it's technology firms, product providers, you know, insurance companies, it's across the board, right? Because as, as again, regulations affects our industry as a whole, right? So it's not just the broker dealer. So I'm, I will not go down a rabbit hole on that. I promise I was going to really just kind of say those three things and be done with it. But here's what you're seeing. So the future, in my opinion, and what you see is the continuation of the same. But also, what does that mean? You're going to continue to, and I, I love to talk about the OSJ Enterprises because I was going to mention that, because here's what you're seeing. As you continue to see those that, com that compression consolidation, you are going to continue to see those advisors that are saying, okay, well, I really, I don't want that, that bigger firm or wanting to get a small firm feel underneath the umbrella of a large stable firm, right? Because that's what you're looking at. So, and I want to choose who I go with, right? I don't want to go into a firm and be said, well, here's, you're going to go in this region or you're going to go underneath this OSJ. You want to have a choice and a say in who you partner with. So David and, and Sean did a fantastic job about talking about all that. And I think you're going to continue to see more of that. And there are phenomenal firms that we've worked with over the years and that we know that are continuing to, to grow, right? And what they're doing is they're providing, because what? They're providing that very high touch customer service, practice management, compliance piece that, again, as advisors say, you know, man, I just, it's, it's continuing all the same. Here's a way for them to kind of shelter themselves, if you will, for lack of a better way to say it, um, and be part of something. And again, yet have that, that financial stability 
of those larger firms. Um, I mean, it's it's really exciting when you think about it from one standpoint. And, and this is when you have someone like myself that's that's been doing this for too long. It is you don't like change. And yet what I've had to, to get accustomed to over the years is there's one thing and I've said it before, Jeremy, but the one thing it, it, that is inevitable and we can guarantee in our industry um, as, as a person advisor say, is that there will be change. Right. And so um, I, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that we can go on and on. I think the team covered it, um, but that's really my points. Continuous regulations, can you compression, more acquisitions, um, and, and the path that I think that advisors um, might be choosing to look at. Yeah, and that's a good point, Deb. I think, and to Sean's point as well, is the financial services industry isn't necessarily just impacted by FINRA and the SEC. It's impacted by governmental issues. I mean, if you look at this proposed capital gains tax, when you're a small broker dealer, um, now there's debate whether that's going to get retroactive January 1 or take effect into October. But if you're potentially looking to sell your broker dealer, that can take your profits down by 20, 30% if that truly goes through. And so working with firms like Trusted Visions to help understand where you're going, because we try and keep a pretty solid amongst the four of us in our nearly 100 years of experience, we try and keep a pretty steady pulse on the industry. If, if one of us don't know about it, the other ones find out about it. And so I thank the team for, for this month's topic. We'll be rolling into a new topic next week. For those of you that are listening or viewing this, this podcast, should you want to just have a confidential consultation, please don't hesitate to go to trustedvisions.com. Right on the front page, there is a schedule a consultation. One of us would love to just have a conversation with you, just understand your current situation, and even just put together a plan B. So trustedvisions.com, on the front page, there's a link for a consultation. If you have any questions, please comment on our LinkedIn page or email us at info at trustedvisions.com. Team, again, thank you for being part of Trusted Visions. Thank you for, for being so, so well-versed in these topics. We look forward to next month's topic. Have a great week, everybody. Great.